we would go and pick grapes in the summertime. We were out of school. We didn't go to summer school. We would go pick grapes and raisins, um, gathering raisins and all that stuff in California at that time. So seeing that, seeing my parents work hard has really uh, kept me humble, grounded. And I think if you've never struggled, you never appreciate what you have. And I'm a firm believer that everybody should struggle at one point or another just to keep them humble because the life we have here is not the life that other people lead in the rest of the world. People are, would die to come here and be the poorest people in America versus the richest people in a third world country. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, welcome back everybody to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode 150. Jace, 150, almost three years of doing this, right? What's going yeah, on? It's pretty phenomenal. Not a lot. How you doing? Good. So we've interviewed, I think we're close to, because we have a bunch in the pipeline, about 200 millionaires, I'd say, right? Yeah. I mean, some we haven't released yet. And then obviously we've done, you know, several over the years, uh, you know, that we've released and, and a few that, you know, we haven't yet. So yeah, we got 200 plus millionaires coming up on, or at least coming up on that for sure. Yeah. We just interviewed a lady who, who has nine real estate properties, I guess eight, right? A little hunting cabin, seven rentals, and then her primary residence. And she never earned she and her husband together never earned over seventy five thousand. Yeah, it's and, pretty and remarkable. They have a net story. worth of over a million, and yeah, and and the rentals will be paid off in five or six years, and they'll cash flow sixty or seventy grand a year. Yeah, or that'll be the rent roll at least, right? So maybe they'll ca- they'll cash flow fifty or something after repairs. But pretty amazing story to never make over seventy five and have eight real estate properties. Yeah, seven rentals, and and all of them paid for. Totally, so pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, we had a great interview last week too. I thought her story was amazing. That was Jackie. She's a black single mom, recently retired. Her net worth is, is 1.3 million about. She's a first generation college graduate, got a job at Walmart right after graduation and then worked up and, and worked for after Walmart. I think she worked for the same company, right? Most of her, her time. So really phenomenal, inspirational story with Jackie, who's now trying to teach financial independence, right? And and really anything financial to those in low-income areas or kids that grow up in poverty that aren't able to learn those things. So phenomenal mission from her and, and also a phenomenal story. So go check that out if you haven't heard it. It's episode 149. And, and along that line, Jace, one thing we were talking about earlier this week is uh, an, an article. It was CNBC, right? I think you found. Yeah, initially, Bill Ackman sent a letter uh, to Pershing Cap or Pershing Square Capital Investors. It's his hedge fund, and basically said, "Look, capitalism is the best system for maximizing the size of the econ- economic pie." But said that we've had st- stagnant wage growth for most of America, and that's what's presented one of the the big problems in the U.S. economy. Anyway, he goes on and he brings up a really interesting point. That people that are newborns basically should have, we should have a mandatory investing account for every U.S. child to basically combat wealth inequality. And and, and he goes on and said, you know, basically, hey, if you put $6,750 at birth, you know, get an 8% average return, uh, you know, over your lifetime, then have a million dollars in retirement. Now, we can sit here and debate all day whether or not that million dollars in retirement 
uh, will be sufficient or whatever. But nonetheless, he makes a point, $6,750 a year today, let it sit there for every single born child. That's what's going to combat you know, wealth inequality. And he brings up a really interesting point. Well, it reminds me a little bit of Social Security, but flipped the other way, right? It's almost like you get the money at birth and then it grows for you. Nobody really touches it. But in Social Security, it's like you get these payouts in retirement. You know, you still worry, I think, about how people spend the money. But I think by the time you're 60, right, most people have better spending habits or at least more aware that and say, hey, I'm going to need this for the next 20 years. So I kind I, I like the idea. I think it's almost a reverse system of, of Social Security, right? Like you take the payout now and it grows for you. And obviously in the article it says you can't touch it, right? You couldn't touch it until you're 59 and a half or 65 or whatever. I'd have to go back looking back exactly what his plan was. But yeah, that idea of having it set away. I mean, I think in a perfect world, you don't do that, right? In a perfect world, you probably don't need Social Security, right? Everybody saves for themselves. Taxes are lower. Payings are lower for everybody and everybody can save, Right. In a perfect world, that's the environment you'd want to be in, but obviously not feasible. Yeah, no, I I love the idea, to be honest. I think, you know, flipping the, the, the script, like you mentioned, in a, almost like a reverse Social Security, you know, we get these payouts or our grandparents or whoever, we start looking at the math, like the system's going to fail at some point, right? We know that it's not going to be able to last forever, especially those that are retiring today, you know, they may be the last generation that, that really receives, you know, quote unquote, full social security benefits. You know, our generation, and I think most of us would agree that, hey, we're, we're not even planning on social security. There should, there really probably won't even be much there. And, you know, I, I think it goes back to, to just the, the economic system we have. We're the richest country on earth. Uh, you know, maybe China's up there with us, but we also have insurmountable amounts of debt. And a lot of times I think we flip the script like we all, we always, spend first and then try to pay back later. Same kind of deal with putting money into the social security fund and retirement. And, and whereas you deposit that six, seven fifty per Bill Ackman and, and let it grow. And it's completely flipping the way that, that wealth is built instead of trying to chase the tail, you know, later in life. And, you know, he brings up Australia's superannuation system, which is, I think the fourth largest pension in the world with $2.7 trillion and several other countries that have made some similar system work. You know, nonetheless, it's an interesting idea. I think some of these ideas need that, that businessmen and, and financiers and other people, entrepreneurs bring about are, are something that our political that officials should, should take a look at. Yeah, and it's something we've heard over and over again on this show, right, is, is invest and then wait. Right. Just yep. put in, put it in compound interest. And I mean, I think my favorite quote about this is, is the lady we had on, I can't remember which episode, but she said, look, I, I don't know how I got here. Yeah. Right? I just, in, I just invested it and it grew Yep. and here I am. And she was at four or 5 million. And so, I mean, that's what it comes back to, right? Just being a little bit more intentional. And I guess the problem trying to be solved is, Hey, if people aren't going to be intentional, then we're going to try and be intentional for them. And, and that's really what's happening with social security too, in mm-hmm. a sense. Right. So anyway, pretty interesting stuff. Um, really interesting interview today as well. He has a net worth of over 1 million, about 30,000 in cash. He's an immigrant. He worked three jobs 
at one point to get ahead and has worked at a network security for a cable company for the last 15 years. So really interesting interview coming up here with Peter. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, we have some sponsorship uh, openings available. Send us an email. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com and also some multifamily syndication opportunities coming up for accredited investors. So if you're interested in that, again, same email. Feel free to reach out. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, please review it on iTunes or Stitcher, whatever you listen to. It helps us helps us grow the show and, and, and keep this thing going. So thanks for tuning in. Hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. And without any further delay, please help me welcome Peter to the show. Peter, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Uh, yes, I'm 38 years old. I work for a uh, networking company, cable networking company, and I'm one of the business technicians in California. And I've been doing this line of work for about 15, 16 years. Nice. That's awesome, man. And what's your net worth today? Uh, 1.5. Wow. And how is that broken up? It is, I have about 950, uh, 1,000 in real estate. Uh, I have about 210 in 401k, about maybe 30 grand, 30 to 35 grand in cash. And then uh, we have a 457, which is my wife's. She's a government employee. So she has about 85 to 90 in there. Awesome. Let's start with the real estate. That's a biggest, big chunk of your portfolio. Is that primary residence, investments, or? This includes, uh, includes our primary residence, which uh, we paid off in like four years. Wow. Uh, we were kind of, uh, not to use a Dave Ramsey word, but gazelle intensity, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was just, just peace of mind. I mean, I'm always financially looking at it. So always, some people may disagree with paying off your financial, you know, primary residence, but I've always thought it was just peace of mind and felt like it was a weight over my shoulder. So we pay that off. And then I have four other rentals. Three of them have a mortgage. One is paid off. And when did you pay off the primary residence? Uh, we bought in, um, luckily, in the, in the low end of the market during the crash in 2011. And then we ended up, I think I just paid it off in 2017. Wow. So six years, you paid off a house in California, which is crazy because most people think you got a mortgage forever out there, correct? I agree. It just, um, like I said, slow and steady, you know, one one step at a time. And I think overall, my, my wife didn't really see the investment side of thing until I brought home a almost a hundred thousand dollar check for her birthday and said, here you go, pay off your mortgage. Cause she primarily makes the wow. <laughs> the payment for the house. So then that was off her shoulders. And I think she kind of turned into a believer. <laughs> how much is your, sorry, I'm interrupt. How much is your house worth, Peter? Uh, and, or rather, how much did you buy for it? How much is it worth um, now? $248. I put about 50 into it. I would uh, work daytime and nighttime. I would, I would spend time working on the house for about six months before we got married. So uh, now it's close to 400, 410,000. Okay. Awesome. Good for you. So there's so much to jump in here, right? And so, so yes, many sir. places I want to go with you. And I know I know you have a tremendous story here. So I want to start with that because we were just talking about it a little bit before we started the recording here. But tell everybody what, what your story is. I'm going to let you do it. I'm not going to summarize it because you're obviously going to tell it much better. So maybe give the background to who you are. Well, we, we came here from India, um, six family members here. And then uh, we, we lived middle class over there. My dad was a, a sheriff over there. So he did very well. But coming here, we have to start from scratch. So he had $60, $65 in his pocket, and we came here, and six of us, and parents worked two jobs. We work, worked in the fields, and they would work at a factory during the daytime, and then um, that's it. I mean, we would go and pick grapes in the summertime. We were out of school. We didn't go to summer school. We would go pick grapes and raisins, um, gathering raisins and all that stuff in California at that time. So seeing that, seeing my parents work hard has really uh, kept me humble, grounded. And I think if you've never struggled, you never appreciate what you have. And I'm a firm believer that everybody should struggle at one point or another just to keep them humble because the life we have here 
is not the life that other people lead in the rest of the world. People are, would die to come here and be the poorest people in America versus the richest people in a third world country. So, um, yeah, it's been a blessing. I mean, land of opportunity is the reason everybody wants to come here. Yeah, really amazing. And you you shared with us, if, if I'm okay to share it, you were nine years old, right, when you came to the States? Yes, sir, nine years old. So I'm 38 four, today. So four kids, two parents, right? You immigrated from India. You went right to California and you and you stayed there since? Are your siblings still there? Have they moved around? Yeah. Siblings are still here. One sister uh, moved. She lives in Texas, Fort Worth, but all the other siblings are here. Okay, good for you. And then did you go to school? I did. I went to school about three years, local college here. I was going to go to school to be a teacher. Took some time off. We all know how that starts. Started having a little part-time job and then got a taste of money, which is my parents' worst nightmare not to have the kids work because it seemed like you get money, you start working more. Um, and that's what kind of happened. But then I was working three jobs at one point, just hustling. But I just stopped all that and then got a, my current job that I've, I've had for about 15, 16 years. Uh, working for the local cable company here. And then ever since I've been here and kind of moved on uh, to different positions, they've done six different positions, including management. And then um, that's it. It's been a great, great start working here. And the opportunities have been just tremendous, just working for a large corporation. Awesome. Good for you. And your wife works as well, you mentioned. And then you have a child, right? One child. Yes, sir. One child. So really amazing, Peter, right? I mean, you come here when you're nine and now you're a millionaire. You're, you're going to hit two here probably shortly, right? Yes, sir. I, I mean, how are you able to do it? It's it's really an incredible story, right? I mean, this is the story that, that we started the podcast to tell. And obviously, everybody has a different journey and a de- different allocation. But I mean, you, you came from, I want to say nothing, just from, from coming to the States and, and having nothing, right? You said your dad had $60 in his pocket to now being a a millionaire. And, and by the time you retire, you'll be a multimillionaire. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really see it. Just a number, to be honest. I My, my cost of living, um, I think for the first, I started my job making nine eighty five. I was probably making double that and I was still living on about $11, $12 an hour, but, uh, which allowed me to just be in a financial position to sock all that money away, especially during the, the financial crash that we had in 2009, 2010. So that was, I guess, timing, a little bit of luck, a little bit of timing has a lot to do with it which gave me the opportunity to buy into real estate. And, you know, that's one of the things I think every immigrant that comes from India wants to have property. Property is like a big thing because we all know it's a great hedge against anything that can happen in the economy. The property always going to go up or down based on the economic times. Sure. So the, the money you have in, in the markets, right, in your, in your retirement accounts, both you and your wife's, how is that invested? Is it in index funds, bonds, more actively managed mutual funds? I think for my wife, she's she's not as, uh, I guess, liberal with her money and, and risk taker as I am. So hers is, it's all in municipal bonds, pretty much, 457. So that, I just kind of just let her have that and just leave it. I see the growth of it. It's not much overall, but my um, mine, the 200 and about 20,000 that I have invested is invested in the stock market. Um, I mean, cap the graph here. 48 in domestic stock, 27 in foreign stock, and the rest are just a little bit of bonds, about 8 to 9% bonds in the short term. But most of the money is in um, large cap cap market, and it is on the stock market for the most part, high risk. Uh, I started off just picking different things, and then we had um, opportunity to go and buy into, uh, as the company expanded, uh, we had more opportunity to buy more funds, and there was a 2045 Freedom Fund. Um, I think it's JP Morgan, I'm sorry, uh, one of the timeline funds. So I, I look at it. I, I haven't moved stuff around. It's been good to me the last six, seven years. Um, I don't really fiddle with it. I'm one of those people kind of set it and forget it kind of things when it comes to things I don't 
fully understand, like stock market, I understand stocks, bonds, and everything, but uh, I, I leave that portion to let someone uh, semi-manage it, you know. So, but I left that money alone. It's been good. Um, and that, that's about it. And I have a wrap account, which I have about 9000 which the company puts in. I don't put anything in. The company just puts 3% of my salary in. Nice. And that one, yeah, that one's also in a timeline fund. It's pretty much 2045. And I, I noticed that I'm not, obviously I'm not going to uh, retire at 2045. I'll retire a lot before that. But I, I do realize that with those funds, um, the, the target date is what gives you, if you're conservative or liberal, so then with your money, so then I, I have it on my targets that way it's more stocks and more uh you know more potential for growth overall yeah how much cash do you do you hold peter or, or how big is do you have an emergency fund yes i'm a big dave ramsey fan when it comes to um conservative with my money that's what kind of made me help uh, pay the house off and everything when i started off so i always keep about a year worth of uh, emergency fund i've had it up to about maybe five years at one point but i've kind of just Try it a little bit and see. Okay, I'm okay. Money's coming in, so I always keep about thirty to fifty on uh, cash. And my wife usually keeps about the same amount overall. Okay, so, gotcha, gotcha. Now that the house is paid off, that's been kind of I kind of took a little higher risk on that. You know, <laughs> lowered yeah. it a little bit. Right. So, so you kind of strike me as a millionaire next door type of guy, right? Does anybody in your neighborhood or your friends or even your family members do they know you're a millionaire? Uh, I think they have an idea because my, all my family invests in real estate. So they know that slow and steady always wins a race when it comes to real estate. Um, and, and, you know, I have most of my family members. I think every family member I have, they have at least one to two rental houses and upwards to a 35, 36 for one of my uncles. And, you know, they, that's how he started. We kind of see that. But rich dad, poor dad type of uh, I'm thinking is what got me there. But millionaire next door is the the habits and living simple is, I think, what I've always been like. But having that book, someone recommended it to me and I just I loved it. Went through it in like a couple of days and and that's it. I mean, I, I love those books. You know, I don't think my neighbors know, but I mean, it's not a secret. I think I'm one of those people that if anybody wanted to know how to invest how to make money i'm I'm, a, I'm happy to share with people it's i think i believe that you know we can rise the tide for everybody to be a winner no one has to lose for me to win or vice versa you know sure well i appreciate you we both appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story so so thank you i think you're going to help thousands of people here so so definitely appreciate it so in this journey peter to be a millionaire is there something or a couple things that you could point to and say, hey, those are those are the two or three things that really led to my success. You know, maybe it was just grinding along the way and living frugally, or maybe it was being able to take a chance on real estate, or maybe it's that you didn't want to be poor, or that you know you were a good salesman, or you worked hard in your career. Whatever it is, is, is are there a few things that you can point to and say, hey, that's kind of what led to my success? Yes, I think overall, um, living simple is always going to be great, especially if you start making more money. I, I've never changed my lifestyle. I think for the first 10 years of my career, uh, as I made more money, I didn't increase my lifestyle, increase my spending. I didn't keep up with the neighbors or, I mean, I've never bought a brand new car. Just living simple. I mean, if you live humble, when things break, it's easier to fix things when things are less complicated versus more complex your life is when when the roof crashes and your money is gone and you lose a job, you're not scrambling to make it work. I don't know what to do. I keep it simple. Everything I buy uh, besides a house, I've, all my vehicles have all been cash. If I don't have the cash for it, I just don't buy it. Just peace of mind to me is worth it overall. And then I don't right. really have comparison and compete with anybody. I compete with being humble and being a good person and maybe donate money to charity. That's something I try to compete against for people i mean just if i see someone do that's a good thing you know so but i don't i don't change my lifestyle for anybody or see someone else have something i don't want it i you know i live my, i'm my own person my family's the same way as well 
That's awesome, Peter. So can you give us a little insight into how you started acquiring those properties? Did you pay off your primary before you started investing in other real estate or did you start kind of accumulating those properties along the way? I read a lot. So with real estate and like I have an uncle that's done very well with, with real estate and his, his thing was just low and steady. Just buy it. Don't worry. It will eventually will go up in value. So I think to me, it was just timing was key. But I, I started in my job in 2005 and in 2009 is when I bought my first house. So I did the whole young kid, buy a car, waste money. But I just had like a, a moment where I just said, what am I doing in my life? So I sold my car. Um, use that money down payment for my second house. Cause the first house I saw and I saw the value go up, you know, just slowly money was starting to come in for the rent. I'm like, Hey, look, I'm making 500 bucks a month. So what I did was I would start, I started saving money. And then from the, from the first house to the second house, I think it was only like a year and a half because I saw the potential of making monthly dividends, pretty much cash flow. And then the, in the long run, I would read a lot and say, okay, it's going to you know go up in value. So I pretty much just saved money bigger down payment I had was the smaller payment. So then I always, of every property I've bought, I put at least 30 to 40% down. If I can't have 30, 40%, I do not buy a property because rainy days come, renters may not pay. Um, I mean, who would have since this COVID-19 thing, you know? So all my real estate, I, I when I buy, I have at least 40 to 50% equity in it, not, which includes my down payment, but obviously it's, it, there's some equity in it and I can recapture that as well. So I make sure that I have a, a real fat down payment. So get peace of mind on my real estate. And that's how I started just having about 30 grand. I put it down towards that house. And then I had that pay, house paid off the first one in about three and a half, four years. And then I was making cash flow. Hey, it's making a thousand bucks a month. So then motivating me to get the second one. And obviously you guys all know the first one's always hard and you kind of have a, like a part-time worker giving you hand, which is the house that's giving you money every month. So I use that and kind of just domino effect and just kind of accumulated from there. So Oh, my, my original two houses are pretty much, I can pay the other one. I think my, my interest rate's like less than 3%. So I never paid that one off, but the first one was higher. So I did pay that one off. That's how I got started pretty much. And are these located pretty close to you? Uh, yes. Every house is uh, about less than three, three and a half miles. And one is about five. So I can, a couple of them are walking distance. I try to keep it. So you kind of just drive by kind of thing, you know? So, and I was managing them myself. So that kind of helped me save money. But now been more busy with life in general. And so I kind of just take a step back and I'm giving it to the management company. As each house becomes available, I fix it up. Then I hand the keys over to a management company. And are these homes typical three bedroom, two bathroom, or are they bigger, smaller? Absolutely. Three bedroom, two bath. That's my uh, my go-to because worst case scenario, you can always sell those. And those are the first ones with the highest buyers is a three, two. So all the houses are three bedroom, two bath. Uh, front yard, backyard, you know, a house that people would want to live in, as especially for renters. I want a, a property that someone wants to kind of live in, you know, and then I, my rent has always been, um, honestly, like 15% below market, just because um, I don't want people moving in, moving out, the, you know, the vacancy factor, you know, so, and that's what I do. So I've always, even now my rent is, some of them are about 20% lower, uh, because it's not my my main gig. I still work. So maybe when I start doing this full time, I would, I would increase the rent. Otherwise, rents lower. People stay longer. I think one house, almost 11 years and only have two tenants. Wow, that's pretty wild. Yes, sir. And how did you find most of these properties? I, I always look. Just I'm one of those people that's always looking at real estate. Even if you're not buying, I always say the right price, you'll find the money, you'll find the motivation. So I've always looked. I mean, I think probably I look at real estate, honestly, maybe at least two to three times a week, just see how the market's going up or down. And I, I keep in touch with different brokers, friends, family, 
Um, my management company, they manage over a thousand properties just in town here. So there's always somebody that wants to move in or move out or don't want to put their house for sale because the hassle of getting someone in and out of a property. Sometimes people sell owner to owner or just, you know, the investment property for someone that's looking for investment property. I, I bought one that way and it worked out pretty good. Uh, it was less of a hassle. So I think that's what I start looking for in the future. As I grow, I would look for one investor to another. Interesting. So Peter, where do you kind of go from here? You've got this net worth built up. You got these rentals. You got a great family life. Where where's kind of the vision for the future? I think um, right now, I mean, I'm blessed to have everything I have in my life overall. My goal before, even before the the, the fire movement came along or the uh, FI movement came along, was to just work because I want to work, not because I have to work. Gratefully, I think I've, I've been in that position maybe three, four years to where I work because I want to work. I like my job. I work with people. I'm out and about. I'm a physical person. I like to stay in shape, you know, and then so that's what I do. So from here, I think I kind of just keep going. I would like to add more to my real estate portfolio, but obviously the prices have gone a little bit higher. So I think I would I, my ideal would be to buy a house every year. Uh, obviously, right now I'm not in that, but I, I have bought I think every three years I've bought a, a property. So I think I would want to get to a point where I can buy one every year, have time to work on those houses and just, you know, be the main contractor and, and get different trades to go in there until instead of hiring um, one big contractor, you know, they take their cut. So right, that's going right. to be my job eventually. And, and retiring early is something I would look into. So I may want to retire maybe next four, four or five years, maybe. Maybe I'll work till 50, but options are on the table. So I can actually, if I want to, I, I can do so. And my parents are older. Um, obviously they've done a lot for me. They've worked hard for us. So then, um, they live very close to me here. So I, my idea is to worst case, when I got to take care of them, I will quit my job and I'll take care of my parents. Yeah. Good for you. So the houses you have, Peter, do they cash flow? And if so, how much? Yes. Every house, uh, cash flows, at least my, my limit is usually 450 to $500. If it's under that, I, you know, I got to have cash flow. I mean, equity is great. And, but who, until you recapture it and do all the hassle of getting money out or selling it or 1031 exchange it, um, all the houses do cash flow. I, I make, um, one, two, about $600 per property. And then one of them that's paid off is about a thousand dollars. So total. So what is that? I'm just trying to do the math. Total passive cash flow a year. How a many year houses? I make, I got four. So I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's what I was asking. So four houses, so 1,500, 555, and 1,000, right? So 2,500 a month. Is that right? Correct. We I added a, a property recently. So if I look at my uh, last year, I think it was just around 26,000 and some change uh, cash flow. Okay, you're right. So 2,500 a month times times 12 would be 30. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, and that this that 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 one includes um, the house I recently acquired, but I haven't done taxes for that house yet, so it would be close to thirty grand. And how much do you spend a year? You know, I'm, I'm very simple. Um, I like cars and all that stuff, but I mean, my house is paid off. I one of the first early adopters of solar panels. I put solar panels in 2011, so I didn't have electrical bill. I live in a pretty big house, so with the pool, two AC units. So when I had my son. Obviously, electric bills turns every light on. Two ACs are on, so I just add, recently added more um, <laughs> solar panels uh, while the the credit's still there with the federal government. So um, it's not much. I mean, I don't have I don't have electric bill. Water bills usually about fifty sixty bucks. I don't have any car payments. So I would honestly eating out a little bit. Um, what's your you know, tax? What's your tax bill? How many, How much in property taxes? That I don't have written down, to be honest, but each house, because since I acquired a lot of the houses a long time ago, so in California, the taxes only go up, I think it can only go maximum, I think, 2 to 3% a year. 
So tax liability on those properties is very low. Some of the houses, I think I only pay like $2,500, $2,500, $1,800. I think one's like 2300 the one I recently acquired. But the, all the old ones, the property tax are very low simply because of the fact that every two, every year they can only grow 2 to 3% regardless of um, what the value of the property is current, currently. Gotcha. So so I guess what I'm trying to get at is is could you live off the 30? Probably not, right? Because if it's 2000 a month times the five houses, that's 10. That leaves you 20000 to live off of. So you probably need maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 more even if you live Correct. a simple life, right? Um, well, yeah. When I do these numbers, these numbers are just based on my income, not my wife. Okay, gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah, so I've always just, I've always done this thing just on my own, um, and I didn't really want to fiddle with, um, you know, my wife, like I said, she's very conservative with the money. Um, but so does, does your net worth of 1.5 include her money or, or no? Little bit of it, but I think you can probably add another 100,000 to it. Okay, okay, yeah, gotcha. So, but yeah, so, you know, conservatively, my number is always conservative. I don't, and the reason that my, that 400,000 on the house is, like I said, I have the solar panels, I have the pool, I've done a lot of work to the house. Typical neighborhood here is probably, 370, 380, but then when you have an electric bill and all the solar panels, everything add that to it. Um, it's a decent neighborhood, so I, I always evaluate everything very conservatively because worst case scenario, something can always go up instead of going down. You know. Yeah, I'm curious on the solar panels. How much did they cost? You know, people pay so much for solar panels. I mean, I've looked at a lot of houses that have leases on it, and when you lease a proper uh, solar panels, they're gonna get you for the best most they can because more panels they put on, the more they can charge you retail price, and then right. they can take extra money and extra energy money that comes that goes to the solar company. You have a two hundred dollar bill that you pay consistently, whatever it may be. I paid uh, after taxes um, fourteen eight in two thousand eleven for twenty panels. And then fourteen thousand eight hundred, right? Yes, sir. I paid cash okay. for them. And then recently, the ones I put in, I think after the tax write-off that I'm going to get into the year when I apply for, I think it's going to be like $6,200 for 10 panels. So they're very cheap. Why people, I mean, obviously people don't do the homework. And what yeah. is that? What is What was the before and after on your electrical bill? You know, when I bought the house, my electric bill, um, I, I had a taste of summertime when I was working. So the AC was running when I would work in the house. I would paint everything, do the things. I had a bill upward to $450 a month. In the summer month in, in in California, it gets it's pretty wow. hot. So yeah, right, four hundred right. to five hundred dollars. I think I my my mind was just blown. So I, I immediately um, added the solar panels, put a variable speed variable pump speed pump on my uh, pool and spa. So then I have there's two pumps that were running. So I incorporated those together with the automatic system. So that dropped that bill. I think like about forty fifty percent because you just put on a lower speed, put the solar panels on. Um, you know, get everything tuned up and done and that dropped the bill pretty much zero. I think they paid themselves off in five years, the first between fifteen, sixteen thousand I spent on those solar panels. Wow, pretty amazing. So your your payback, I mean couple few years, I guess, right? Yeah, for those ones, I think five years was the payback was done. That's when I paid and I did a calculation. I went ahead and added the ten more panels. These are probably gonna take maybe seven, six, seven years because they're they're less amount of solar panels and I'm still pretty conservative overall with electricity. So, but yeah, I mean, they pay for themselves. I mean, now, like I said, electricity is pretty much free. I think I enjoyed, I think, three years of free electricity pretty much. And now I added these panels, but I mean, 6,500 <laughs> bucks. And then, you know, right, and then they right. still add value to your house instead of having a lease where those companies, they're just happy. That's where they make their money all the time because sure. when you sell your house, they get the bill first because there's a, there's a lien on your property. Jace, what's your electrical bill every month in Texas? Depends, man. In the winter... It's not very much because we got really great weather like California mm-hmm. in the winter. But in the summertime, we'll run the AC pretty much all day. Probably a couple hundred bucks. I mean, we have... That's not bad. Yeah, we've got two 
I've got dual controls upstairs and downstairs. And obviously, like, we don't spend as much time upstairs as where the kids' bedrooms are and stuff and then a little game room and whatnot. So we kind of set the temperatures up there higher and allow the nest to kind of take care of that. And so I think that helps a lot. But, yeah, it's not too bad. But it gets more. It's definitely more in the summer for sure. Oh, yeah. Is that a single AC unit or is it two of them? We got two. Oh, I got you. I thought you had a single one with dampers. I have two also. I have a split-wing house, so all the rooms have one AC unit, and all of the living area, kitchen, all the other stuff um, has one AC unit. So nighttime, one goes off, the other one turns on, just like kind of like how you do up and down. I do you know, one outside bedroom and living area. Interesting. Interesting. Do all the neighborhoods or all the houses, excuse me, do all the houses in your neighborhood all have a pool? About 80%, yes. It's a really nice neighborhood. My, my my grandfather used to walk over here and said, oh, what a great neighborhood because it was just all – it was cornfields. You know, he's a farmer and he hmm. came to visit. And he thought, oh, what a great – these houses they're building over here are just huge. My dad would go walk in. He was like, oh, you got to buy a house over here. So when I bought this house, he was just super proud, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So – just in, in closing here, I want to ask you some rapid fire questions, but before I do, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you just some general advice and, and mistakes. What, what mistakes do you feel like you've made investing wise or life wise, whatever that you want to share? And then maybe what advice would you give to somebody who's in your similar situation? I think, um, when it comes to any, any type of investing, emotions have to be, you got to leave your emotions out of it. It's easier said than done, including myself. I mean, even the recent stock market, if everybody comes, you kind of gaff looking at your numbers, but taking emotions out of it. I think early on when I started with the um, investing in the stock market, I was kind of emotional, like, oh my God, stock market's crashing, this and that. But then uh, reading books has helped me a lot. I think people say you have to make your own mistakes. I mean, to a, to a certain degree, yes, but that's what books are for. I think books are cheat sheets for people that have made mistakes and they're you can look at those at lessons and learn from them instead of making every mistake in the book yourself. But look at those and learn from it. And that's what I've done. I, I, I read a lot, like I said, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, Millionaire Next Door. Um, and consistency is key. I mean, like I said, no time in the markets, how long you put your money in the market, what's going to um, help you grow, especially when I start off at 25, now I'm 38. Majority of the stock market money, I mean, I, I got to the point where I just I was putting 30 to 35 percent of my money when the market crashed. You know, my, my, and I knew the return would be there eventually, but take the right, emotions right, right. out of it, you know. So that's Good what I you. mean by emotion, take emotions out of it. Just just do it. I mean, it's hard sometimes, but you know, doing the right thing is hard sometimes when it comes to investing. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever used a financial advisor? I have not. I attempted to use one um, for a little. I had my wife do it because, like you said, I told you she was kind of skeptical of me doing investing. So I, I took about 30 grand, um, gave it to a, a broker investor, I guess you would say, locally in California here, Charles Schwab. Or if I could say names or not, but um, I, I went in there after a year and a half, two years of, you know, just talk to the guy. Hey, how come our portfolio is not doing so well? So I asked right out, asked the guy, hey, what's your portfolio look like? That's compared to mine. I'm just curious. He would not show me his portfolio. <laughs> so <laughs> at that point, I said, why, why, am we, why are we down 12 percent? And my portfolio is up 4 percent, even the market was down. I said, I'm doing it myself. Um, what does yours look like? The guy didn't show me. So then I think after I walked out, uh, I immediately called my buddy that works at Charles Schwab. He's not the guy that does investing. So I told him, go ahead and sell everything, took the money, put it back, put it back in wife's account, called it a lost lesson learned. And that's the last of uh, of any advice when it comes to financial advisor that I use. I mean, I don't want to say all financial advisors about I mean, if you're a fiduciary, maybe this one wasn't at the time, but, uh, if you don't know what you're doing, obviously it's better to pay a little bit of percentage of somebody and have some gains instead of getting no gains. But 
I personally have never used one. I did let my wife do it. So she kind of understood that I kind of had an idea what I was doing once we hired a professional, quote unquote, do, doing her money and see how it went. Sure. And do you have, besides the houses, do you have any debt? I assume not if you're a Dave Ramsey guy, but nothing on the cars <laughs> or anything? Negative. No, I had zero debt on any, anything else. I don't want a penny to anybody. Gotcha. Okay. So let's jump into some rapid fire questions here. So what's the most expensive pair of uh, jeans you've ever purchased? Like $32 Costco. <laughs> okay. Most expensive car? Um, I bought a $30,000 car. I, I like fast cars, a V8 fast car. I sold it because I wanted to get money for a house. So the investment, I did it. And then my wife's the one that drove it. She fell in love with the car, even though I bought it for myself. <laughs> so I think fast forward two years, I just recently bought another one, about 32 grand, but that's my wife's car. So I drive a Lexus LS 430, $4,000 old Lexus LS. I'm my wife calls me the old man. <laughs> so yeah, um, so I would technically would say 20000 but I made about 5000 off that car um, that I originally bought. It was a S2000 collector vehicle. So then I sold it. So actually $20,000 is the most expensive car I bought for myself. Okay. What's the most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Probably about 130 bucks, maybe Vegas. I go to Vegas maybe once every five, six years. Okay. Um, what item or items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you and, and what's not worth the money? I think things that add value to your life, you know, to taking time off from work. I've technically not spending money, but actually losing money. So if you don't have vacation, you gotta, you have to capitalize on that. You have money because you can use it because you have hours. But even if you don't, I think it, it makes sense to take some time off, spend time with your family. Um, and your children just for the fact that that time goes by and there's no, you know, dollar amount you can value, put value on that money and that time right. is the timeless. So I always think that you should take some time off for your family, even if it means losing some money, if you're especially for a salesperson. So I think that and anything that adds value to other people, I, I, I'm big on donating my time to people. Anybody can donate money, but when you give your time to people, I think it's very valuable. It keeps you humble. Helping others has always motivated me to work hard and stay grounded. And uh, that's that's my main thing. My ultimate goal, honestly, is to leave behind a million dollars and that's to be all to charity. And the rest I would leave to my family, my son, because I wouldn't leave that much money to my son. Cause it could be a curse, you know, unless you deserve and know how to manage money. So my ultimate goal is to leave a lot of money to charity and help out people individually as I go go along with my life. Good for you. How, how old were you when you became a millionaire? Thirty five. Thirty five. OK. Favorite or how much do you spend here? We talked about that. Favorite books. I know you just mentioned books that you learn a lot from books. Is any any few that you recommend? The books I've read. I mean, like I said, I'm not I'm not a big reader. I read a lot of articles, news. I'm a news junkie. Um, but investment stuff, I'm not a, a imagination reading. You know, Harry Potter and like that. But Rich Dad Poor Dad, obviously, it's very popular. Millionaire Next Door, uh, Richest Man in Babylon. I, I, I'm sure you guys have. Um, read that one. I, I love that one. Just the story overall, just in, you know, so many analogies and so many ways, even said bad Babylon days, you know, and then the automatic millionaire by David Bach. That was um, a good eye opener. Just to keep things consistent and dollar cost averaging is what kind of that book taught me the most is just mm. go ahead and just, you know, the latte factor. I'm not into that thing is a bunch of crap because you got to enjoy a little bit of your life. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you can't be that cheap. So, I mean, I, I indulge, I enjoy my life. I don't, I'm not a Scrooge overall. But those are the books that have, have helped me. And then obviously Dave Ramsey has always been a big factor because when things like what's happening in the current market's happening, um, a lot of people probably, I'm sure they're loving Dave Ramsey by now, right? So. <laughs> right, right. So as much as you're comfortable sharing here, Peter, what's been the range of, of household income since you started working? 
for me, I think up from, from 2005 to 2012, when I got married, um, I made the most I ever made for my job is 71,000. And then average has been about 30 to 35. I didn't start making really good money until I got into management. Okay. And your wife, but your wife does work as well, right? Now, yeah, after 2012, uh, they'll bump the income to probably another 70, 80 grand there. Okay. For both of you making about that. Um, correct. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and so last question here, what does it mean to be happy and, and fulfilled and, and has the money brought that to you as, as you've continued to grow your net worth? You know, honestly, um, just knowing that you're working your job um, because you want to, not because you have to, not you don't feel like you're grinding away. It's fine. And then knowing that your family, your my parents are, I mean, they grew up pretty, pretty humble and poor. So me having that financial background now with the money to help them out, knowing that I can help my parents, uh, you know, first thing I did, it was buy a brand new Lexus for my dad. That's the only car when he retired. Very simple man, never drove a fancy car, but so doing things for my family and people who truly deserve it, helping those who help others has been the key to happiness. I think money doesn't give you happiness per se. But when money is spent on other people, you should see how much happiness that gives to that person that doesn't have anything. So I sponsor people back home. I send money to family that's poor back home. I don't forget, you know, and, and I do local charities here as well. Um, on one of the charities of the hospital, just helping underprivileged kids, um, you know, in, in poor areas. So regardless how people are poor, it doesn't matter. People are poor. People are poor regardless of systematic or their own doing. I mean, you know, and you just help people out. I think when you're given more opportunity than somebody else more money i think we have to give back a little bit and that's what i try to live by that makes me happy overall you know and that i'm helping people out giving them my time and and money as well awesome awesome really cool story and, and peter thanks so much i appreciate you coming on sharing your story and, and being so open about it i think it'll definitely resonate with a bunch of people and and really humbling inspiring for for me certainly so thank you so much again everybody that's peter net worth of 1.5 million thanks for coming on the show tonight you guys have a wonderful evening thank you so much it's been a pleasure thanks peter Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.